Hi, and welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast. We have some exciting news we want to share with you, and that's that Rob's newest book, The Jordan River Rules, is finally here. It's been 20 years since The Red Sea Rules was published, and since then, it's helped hundreds of thousands of people through all kinds of crises. People write letters all the time to us about what they've been through. Now, he's written this book, The Jordan River Rules, to talk about how the swollen waters of the Jordan River were held back. This time, not to help the Israelites escape the enemy, but to open the path to the promised land, a path to victory. So maybe in your life, you're shifting gears. Maybe you're accelerating or slowing down. You wonder what's next. Our lives tend to move forward in different stages. So maybe you're figuring out post-pandemic life, or perhaps you've just graduated or had a baby or a change in career, or even you've lost a loved one. The message of the Jordan River Rules is that everything in your life so far has been God's preparation for stronger days ahead. Now it's time to move onward toward all the promises he has in store for you. You can search on Amazon for the Jordan River Rules to find the book and its accompanying study guide, which is meant for individual or group study. Or you can visit robertjmorgan.com. Use the code JRRPODCAST to save 10% off the book, the study guide, or the online study videos. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Well, hello there, and welcome back to our series of podcasts called Unstoppable. It's the nature of the gospel in the book of Acts, and that particular title comes from Gamaliel, who said to the Sanhedrin uh, when they were thinking about forbidding uh, the preaching of the gospel and destroying the apostles or imprisoning them, he said, you'd better be careful what you do to these men, because if this movement is from God, you cannot stop it. Well, we have been following the story of the unfolding growth of the church in the book of Acts until we have now come to chapter 19. And in the last podcast, I gave you some background about Paul's coming into the city of Ephesus on his third missionary tour. He had already established a church in Corinth that was going to give him a lot of problems. And now right across the, um, uh, the Aegean, he was going to begin uh, a new work in Ephesus, which would become his greatest work. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 19. Paul here began by coming into the city of Ephesus, where he found 12 men who were disciples of John. He preached the gospel to them. They were saved. They experienced a Pentecostal moment. You may want to go back and give a listen to the podcast episode called The Four Pentecosts in the book of Acts from two or three weeks ago. And on that foundation, he began then evangelizing in the Jewish quarter, and then he evangelized throughout the entire city. And one of the things that I pointed out last week is that in the city of Ephesus, Paul had extraordinary spiritual power, and there are a lot of things unique in this particular city that occurred during Paul's ministry. This was a supernatural ministry. It involved forces of evil versus forces of good. It involved spiritual warfare. Now, Ephesus was the home of the great goddess Artemis, uh, who created a climate around her temple in which the magic arts uh, flourished. And as I said last week, we have some of the documents from the ancient uh, magical Greek papyra that tell us something about the nature of the magic and the spells and the witchcraft and the occult and the things that were going on there. This was a city that was full of 
magical incantations and scrolls having all kinds of formulas in it. It was a city and the grip of magic and magic, and by magic I mean things having to do with the dark realm of the supernatural, it was flowing out of Ephesus everywhere. And so it says in Acts chapter 19 that Paul taught daily for two years in the school of Tyrannus, and he did extraordinary miracles that even, or I should say, God did extraordinary, miracle, extraordinary miracles through Paul. That's the way it's put in verse 11. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. We don't see Paul very often engaged in casting out demons uh, or in dealing with sorcerers. We see it some, but here in Ephesus, we see it more than anywhere else. And then in verse 13, we're uh, introduced to some Jewish sorcerers who tried to cast out a demon from a man in, in the name of uh, the Christ who Paul preaches. And that didn't go very well for them. And then we discovered how because of the notoriety of that incident, people started coming in large numbers to the gospel. So the, there was truly a citywide revival here in Ephesus. And as they did so, they would take their magical paraphernalia and their scrolls of spells and incantations, and they burned them in the bonfire. Uh, the material, very, very valuable, worth, it says, 50 thousand uh, golden coins and this began to spread everywhere so that it actually drove magic underground for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years uh, but but the city here was being Paul was clearing out the demonic forces he was ridding large parts of this city from the influence of magic by the fact that the citizens of this city were becoming Christians. And as a result of that, all of the craftsmen who were making and selling little icons or figurines of the goddess Artemis, well, their cells plunged and they provoked a riot. After three years of Paul's ministry there, finally there was a riot. Usually a riot began very shortly after he got somewhere. But here the Lord allowed him to have a long, stable period of ministry. And then when the citywide riot occurred, Paul knew that it was time for him to leave. The church was in good hands. It had been built up. All of Asia Minor had been evangelized. It was his longest period of sustained ministry. It was really his greatest success story, at least in visible terms. And uh, and Paul left that city. He went on planning his fourth missionary tour, but it had been a story of spiritual warfare and of the victory of the gospel. So what I'm wanting to do now is to use that as a background for understanding a little bit better the letter that Paul later wrote to the Ephesians. We have supernatural power in Paul's ministry and the city of Ephesus. But we also have supernatural power and Paul's message in the book of Ephesians. It's really incredible how this theme shows up all the way through Ephesians. And I really began to learn this, as I mentioned last time, in a book called Power and Magic, The Concept of Power and Ephesians by Dr. Clinton E. Arnold. 
In its original form, this book was based on a doctrinal dissertation presented to the Faculty of Divinity at the University of Aberdeen in June of 1986. Arnold points out that Ephesians, was, a, or the city of Ephesus rather, was a beehive of demonic powers, as we've seen. And then when Paul later wrote to the Ephesians, he constantly referred to the infinite power of God, which is far above all other authorities and powers. So let me quote now from Arnold. He said, there is substantially a higher concentration of power terminology in Ephesians than in any other epistle attributed to Paul. The sole exception is 1 Corinthians, but it is nearly three times longer. When these occurrences of power terminology in a given book are considered in proportion to the size of that book, Ephesians is found to contain a greater percentage of power terminology than any other New Testament book. The devil and the various categories of powers are mentioned 16 times in this epistle. This is why the book of Ephesians is ground zero when we study the subject of spiritual warfare from a biblical perspective. Much of the power that uh, Paul speaks of here, the power terminology that he uses, and these are words like power and might and strength, uh, these words would have been familiar to readers of the magic papyra that I referred to last time. The Ephesians knew the contents of the magical papyra. These books were not secret. They were widespread with all of their incantations and spells. I quoted from a couple of them in the last podcast. And so the terminology that would have been found in these magic papyra shows up in Paul's writings to the Ephesians. So let me give you an example. Let's just turn over to the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible and you're able to study it with me, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He doesn't just say, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but he has blessed us in the heavenly realms. The Ephesians would have understood this. The heavenly realms are the unseen realms, the supernatural realms, the realms occupied by the eternal. Well, we are blessed in these realms when we belong to Christ. We have nothing to fear. God blesses us with invisible blessings, with future blessings, with ultimate blessings, with eternal blessings, with blessings that we don't even know about. We are blessed not only in the earthly spheres, but we are blessed in the heavenly spheres. The other 65 books of the Bible tell us a great deal about how we are blessed in the visible spheres, but Ephesians tells us how we are blessed in the invisible spheres and the heavenlies. And he goes on to pray that we will understand that. He says, I pray that you will understand God's incomparably great power for us who believe. And that word power was a word that showed up constantly in the magical papyra. And in chapter 1 and verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength which he exerted when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet. The power terminology in those verses is extraordinary. You have the words power, might, and strength. You have the right hand in the heavenly realms. You have this power above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked. You have it not only in the present age, but in the world to come. You have all things under the feet of God, all of the ranks and the rivals in the spiritual world, all of the forces, good and bad, all are under Christ, his supreme, ultimate, cosmic power is irrefutable and it is available to help his children. Our personal power and authority is bestowed on us by Christ who ascended far above all other spiritual forces in the seen and unseen realms both now and forever. So this is language that would have communicated loud and clear to those who had a background in the magical papyra and in the atmosphere of their pre-conversion city of Ephesus. Now let's go on in chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Now the air or the atmosphere was thought of by people in the first century to be the realm of these invisible forces, particularly the invisible forces of evil, who are ruled over by Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, and who is also working in the unsaved visible culture. So let me quote Arnold Clinton again, or Clinton Arnold rather. The air was regarded as the dwelling place of evil spirits in antiquity. This is well attested in the magical papyra. Jews believed the air was the abode of the demons. And from what Paul writes in Ephesus, this seems to be the truth. But we have been delivered from all of that. Arnold writes, quote, Paul seeks to demonstrate to his readers that there are two possible realms in which people exist. One is the realm of death, which is controlled by an angelic evil spirit, and the other is the realm of life entered by faith in Christ Jesus. The believer has experienced a transfer from one realm to the other. Well, I don't have time to go further into chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 3. In this chapter, Paul says that the spirits in the unseen realm, both the good and the bad, learned about God's triumphant plan for creating a victorious entity known as a church which would proclaim the good news to the world. They learned about that by listening to the apostles teach. Look at verse 10. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The Ephesians would have known the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, those forces of good and evil in the world of what they would think would be magic, what we understand to be the unseen realm that God has made. And so the truth about the existence of the church was preached and taught and these evil spirits were listening in, 
And that's how they learned about this plan that God had of redeeming the world. Now let's go to the end of chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This again can be interpreted in the light of the magic papyra. Every group in the human race and every group in the heavenly realm, both good and evil, is created by and under the authority of Almighty God. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Now, notice how often that word occurs. You may just want to read through the book of Ephesians and circle power and this power terminology, the similar terms, and see how often they occur here. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power there it is again, together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now Arnold points out that this phrase, high, long, high, and deep, would have been familiar to the magicians of Ephesus. These four dimensions are found in the papyra. It's called dimensional terminology. For example, in one of the magic spells, the magician is instructed to call upon the name of a certain god and request his power so that the secrets of the power of that god may be made known. And the incantation says, Let there be opened for me the house of the all-powerful god Albel-El, who is this light. Let there be light, breadth, depth, length, height, brightness. And that's from the magical papyra. So the four dimensions refer to all of the space everywhere in every realm. It has to do with the vastness of power. And so Paul says here, the vastness, unending nature of God's power mixed with his love is illimitable. It is above all. And then he says in verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is a great deal in that doxology, a great deal of power language, uh, a great many indications of the superior vast nature of Jesus Christ and who he is and the nature of his power um, welded together with his love uh, that represents really a very powerful passage on spiritual warfare in the Bible. But for the sake of time, let's go on to chapter 4 of the book of Acts. In chapter 4, verse 6, we read about, quote, the God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, he is over all of the spiritual realm and the forces in the air. The next verse refers to the moment of Christ's ascension, when he ascended on high and took many captives. Again, referring to the tremendous moment of victory at his ascension, in which basically all of hell, the devil, all of the demons, they were all absolutely confounded by the level of supreme victory that occurred at the moment of his return to heaven. And then if you go to the end of chapter 4, 
Verse 27 tells us not to give the devil a foothold. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, we're told that we were once darkness, but we are now children of light. The concepts of being children of light and children of darkness, that's from the, well, it's, uh, it's obviously from the Lord. I'm not saying this isn't inspired from Christ, but this terminology would have been familiar to people who were readers of the magical papyra. And of course, all of this comes to a great climax in chapter 6, when Paul says, finally, be strong. And that's another one of the power vocabularies. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, but on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Dr. Arnold points out that the first century readers would have understood that rulers, authorities, powers, and forces were referring to various levels of invisible spirits that pervaded the unseen atmosphere around them and bore tremendous threats to the seen realm of the visible creation of God and to all of the people who needed protection from them. And so we have this extraordinary uh, statement from Paul that we are struggling we are struggling. Now, as children of light, we are involved in a war against the invisible powers and the spiritual and the heavenly realms. We've been blessed in the heavenly realms. We've been raised up to the heavenly realms. We are in Christ there. He is over all of the heavenly realms, but we are right now in a battle zone. And so we have some instructions here about the armor of the believer. I honestly don't have time to delve into all of that. Uh, maybe at a later podcast, we'll circle back to it. But my point is that when you read the book of Ephesians, this is really what I want you to appreciate. Whenever you read Ephesians, you have to read it against the backdrop of the story of the establishment of the church in the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And from that historical study, and from this letter that was written later to the Ephesians against the backdrop of the times of which we now have information, we gain incredible insights for knowing what it means to confront spiritual warfare. And again, the book of Ephesians is the Bible's manual on spiritual warfare. So I hope that this has been an eye-opening episode of the podcast for you. Um, it's the, the whole point of what I've tried to communicate last week and this week in these two episodes is that spiritual warfare is real. It really covers the entire globe. This whole world is surrounded by a grid of invisible forces we cannot see, both good and bad. There is an invisible realm that is far more complex than we realize. Dr. Michael Heiser is another writer who I'm trying to... Uh, to grasp everything that he is saying about this, but there is spiritual warfare going on with a fallen species or fallen varieties of, of supernatural forces unseen to us that rebelled against God before the creation of the world. And we're engaged in this, but our greatest place in the Bible for learning about it is in the book of Ephesians with its background passage of Acts chapter 19. So 
as a foundation for all of your future study about spiritual warfare and the actual engagement of it that we find ourselves in from day to day, I hope this will be helpful. Well, let me just end with these ensuing verses of Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, thank you for joining me. Next week, we will continue on with the 20th chapter and see how Paul wraps up his, um, his final uh, of the three missionary tours. There are lessons in every single paragraph And I think you'll really enjoy next week. So until then, thank you for listening. Check out all of our resources at robertjmorgan.com. Share this podcast with friends of yours. And may the Lord be with you until we meet again.